This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people in all sorts of situations who've successfully adopted. Each episode is also hosted by recognisable voices who are sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit www.youcanadopt.co.uk. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, you're listening to You Can Adopt podcast series with me, Debbie Bright. Today, we are going to explore what it is like to adopt an older child. When we say older, we're referring to a child of around four to five years of age or upwards. On the 31st of March 2019, over 78,000 children were in the care of local authorities, and more than 8 out of 10 of these children were over the age of 4. How sad is that? So in this case, older children wait much longer to be adopted, and I'm so keen to hear from our guest an adopter who's adopted two brothers six years ago. Me and my husband, and I will say husband because I'm now bright and I finally married him after 40 years, have four biological uh, children who are all wonderful. I'm also, many of you may know, many of you might not know, a foster mum and have been over the last 25 years. If I want to explain what a foster mum is, I'd be on uh, this podcast for about 10 years, but I'm going to give you a small insight to my job description. Uh, I have many things to many people. Um, The main things I would say that I am is a therapist without attending any university course because everybody always wants to have a chat. I'm a nurse when they are ill and I've diagnosed every illness that there possibly can be. The main common one, many of us will know, as TLC, tender loving care, a cuddle when they most need it, a hug when they're down, uh, and a kiss on the cheek when they don't want one. Um, I'm also a coach. I stand at sidelines when they're playing football in the pouring rain, uh, and I never, ever give up on their dreams. I'm a teacher, so you see, I'm many, many things to many people. I am a mum, but I'm also a foster mum. On the 31st of March 2019, over 78,000 children were in the care of local authorities, and more than eight in 10 of these children were over the age of four. Today, I'm talking to Jamie, who's adopted siblings. They were age four and five, six years ago. I would like to welcome Jamie with a great big virtual hug. Jamie's partner, Tom, isn't uh, on the podcast today because he's working extremely hard in an office somewhere in that house. He's downstairs. Um, But, you know, I also would like to give him a big virtual hug. So pass that (laughs) on for me. So excited to hear about your story and what led you to consider adoption. Um, And then we'll go on to adopting older children. Yeah, well, uh, in 2012, I think it was, thinking back, Tom and I had already been together for about 12 years. We met at uni when we were about 20. 
Oh, um, you're like me and Dave, long-term <laughs> relationship. Yeah. And uh, we'd bought our first house quite early on um, in 2006. And so our relationship really developed over that 12 years. And the one thing that was missing, really, that we really desired was to have children. Really, the reason we started discussing adoption was because we used to look after our little nephews, Samuel and Finley, when they were three and four. Their parents were going through a bit of a divorce. And so we were looking after them at weekends and taking the load off um, Tom's sister, Katie. And uh, and they uh, she remarried and moved over to Germany and we really missed the boys. Aww. And because they'd been to stay with us so frequently, we sort of already had a sort of set up, you know, that was ready for siblings. Yeah. At that time, we didn't even know you could adopt two children at the same time. And so really, as soon as we started inquiring or Googling about becoming a family and ways to become a family, the fact you could adopt siblings stood out to us like a beacon of hope. Wonderful. And so, um, and so after a few more chats about perhaps have we got space and time and money to adopt... Um, we decided we'd make an inquiry. So plucking up all the nerves I could possibly muster, um, <laughs> one Thursday evening, I Googled our local um, adoption agency, which was in a which is in a neighbouring city. And I phoned up and really bravely said, hello, I'd like to inquire about adopting two little boys, please. <laughs> really? <laughs> which sounded so, so incredibly so, weird. So did you actually make that decision that you only wanted boys at that time? Well... No, not really. Very, very interested in that side of it because, you know, being a foster carer, like you, you find your strengths, you know, and your weaknesses. Yeah. And I've always said I'm, I'm not really that good with boys. I'm not. I'm much better with girls, you know. Like I tend to – I don't know whether it's because, you know, that they want to do everything that I'm doing and, and I just find boys – very very hard to motivate whereas girls are extremely independent yeah, um, yeah. and also looking back at all the children that I've had that have gone through my home and gone on for adoption um, and talking to many many people a lot of people want to adopt girls boys yeah, tend to stay know. much longer in the system do you know it was just our experience with Samuel and Finley that yeah. we already knew the dynamic kind of worked for us hmm. um but we Possibly back then, you know, we weren't dead set on adopting two little boys, but the idea of adopting siblings was definitely quite high on our priorities. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, so we made our inquiry to the adoption agency, which, by the way, was Adoption Focus. And they're an absolutely wonderful little charity uh, just north of Birmingham. All right. uh, Who we we still keep in contact with. Um, So we made this inquiry. I phoned up and then about sort of two or three weeks later, the agency invited us in for a little meeting where we sat with one of their um, social workers just to really find out about the adoption process and the intricacies and how it would work because of course back then we didn't really know what we were heading into at all it was well most people don't do they it's that fear (laughs) we just had preconception a few weeks later they sent round a um, social worker a really young lady probably in her early 20s who came round to survey our house and uh, so that was really nerve wracking. And, and of course, we'd never really cleaned our house as well. It was spotless. It was like we we're about to sell it. <laughs> we even like cleaned and ironed all the curtains and everything. Put, had to put all the gin and wine up into a cupboard at the top. And 
<laughs> you know, empty all the bins. It's really, really strange because, but you hear these stories so much time. But the same when you're considering fostering and you have your yes. assessment, you know, like, oh my God, you know, like, think, oh quick, God, put the hoover around, don't leave the washing in the washing machine. But in fact, people want to see you normal, you know, that yes, know. social know, workers want to see that, you know, <laughs> see you normal. But we all have this visage that they want the perfect family. Does the perfect family exist? Oh, I don't. You know, if they did exist, it would just be really weird, wouldn't it? Boring. It'd be boring. (laughs) And did you at any stage, uh, Mm. you know, just uh, have your mind focused or, 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 you know, really fixed on fostering a baby? No, you know what? Having a baby never even crossed our mind a single time. And I think if we'd gone into adoption with the preconception that we'd have to take a baby on, I'm not even sure we would have gone through with it. Um, really? Which I know this conversation is going to develop into talking about older children, but I think because we were drawing so much on our experiences with Samuel and Finley, who were at the time about three and four, um, I guess that was our image of the family we wanted. Um, right, so you was quite, <laughs> you know, no, I think your experiences, like what you said, you know, paved the next real path for your lives. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm a great believer in everything in life happens for a reason. You know, that's one of my things I say to all my children all the time, even in yes. your darkest moments. Mm-hmm. I think when you look back, you think, oh, that's why that happened. And obviously your your two nephews moved to Germany for you to be able to make your next move. I think, you know, one door closed and another one opens and I think if there's any any piece of advice I would give people who are considering fostering or adoption it's one thing you know don't don't what you know we spend our life saying what if what if you know what if don't don't overanalyze anything if you've got a passion to do something and you actually your heart's telling you to run with that you know just do it because nothing. and don't you think as well Debbie that you've got to be as an adopter or a foster carer really open-minded about what an outcome might be like because yeah. you don't really know there's nothing certain about anything no um, and do, do you know what as well that's the same as being a parent you know we all we all have to you know when I, I sort of go to adoption meetings many of the times I sit in there and I listen to problems like adopters may have or see that that's happening with their children a lot of them are exactly the same as if you have birth children you know there is no guarantees with anything is there well you know again what is there is there such thing as a perfect child I definitely wasn't a perfect child when we when we first started the process then so we were really open-minded and didn't really know where it would take us um and we right at the very beginning the first kind of really big um, kind of moment for us in the adoption process was this week of intensive preparation training, which you might remember from when you yeah. first became a foster carer. I don't know whether well, that was well, that was many many years ago. It's twenty seven yeah. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically, during this preparation training, of course, we didn't really know what to expect. Um, we, it was like a kind of really eye opening moment where they told us all about the kind of issues that affect children in the care system Mm. um which we hadn't even considered at all like it was just completely mind-blowing for us um because I think when we started the process we perhaps were doing it a little bit selfishly thinking about what our lives would be like with children in it yeah um, rather than thinking about it from the perspective of these adorable little independent children it was fantastically amazing but also on the other hand it was quite shocking yeah 
So another thing I was really interested to hear from your side of the story Mm. is, was you both as a couple very, very um, thought mind along the same path or was it one that instigated really wanted to adopt and the other one wanted to be, you know, talked into it or one wasn't sure, one sort of felt your life might be better if you didn't adopt. I'm only saying this, not uh, being judgmental at all, is because when I first started fostering, my husband didn't want to foster at all and uh, he was like, oh, I'm not doing that. And I said, oh, I'm only going to do it for a couple of years yeah. until I go back to work because I actually did didn't really know much about fostering either like you didn't adoption so I thought yeah. oh that, that'll be all right I'll do that for a couple of years 27 years I'm still doing it <laughs> and 27 years he's still you know he loves it you know and he's very yes. much involved in it but he really did need to be you know pushed into it I don't like to say the word pushed but it was pushed into it you know because it was something I was very passionate about yeah, well, um, thinking back, I guess we we approached it fairly evenly, like a team. But I think I made a lot of first steps, if yeah. you see what I mean, like getting the ball rolling. So I think because Tom has always been really committed to his work, right. uh, a lot more than me. Um, and so I think he's, I guess, just thinking back, I made a lot of the inquiries and stuff like that. But then as soon as the ball was rolling and we were in the assessment process, um, we were just a team and it was completely even. Mm. Um, And we were just really excited. There is someone for everyone, like a relationship, like you found your Mr. Right and I found my Mr. Right (laughs) after 40 years. There is somebody for everyone. And if you go into adoption with that open mind, there will be someone that fits you like a glove. It's just finding them. But during the family finding process, which of course is a lot further down the line when you're adopting and being assessed, it's after you've been approved as uh, potential parents. Um, it's at that stage you do need to start thinking about the characteristics your children might have. Otherwise, the pool of children that you're presented with is far too big. Yeah. So for yeah. us, and it's really, really emotional as well, reading their little um, biographies and looking yeah. at their profiles, you know, because they're just so heartbreaking, all their stories. I mean, every single child that you're presented with, I, mean, I was saying to Tom, oh, my God, come in. Oh, I love that one. Oh, he's <laughs> I want to look at this little girl. Yeah. <laughs> and Tom was like, I mean, you know, this is going to you're going to lose sleep if, if we don't decide on the kind of characteristics, characteristics yeah. that we want in yeah. our children. Um, so while you do have to be really open minded, it's at the family finding stage. Then you need to start thinking about, you know, do you want a boy or a girl or two children? What's the maximum level of difficulty you can handle? as well because of course a lot of these children have seen and heard disturbing things. I think you're totally right to sit down actually with your partner or if you're thinking about um, adopting singly to sit with somebody that you really really you know love and will listen to you Um, it's so important to get a notepad and write down all the things that you think actually will work for you you know your family because um you will be inundated I mean if you're if you put your hands up to adopting older children you will be inundated with requests and there needs to be um you know some guidance for yourself of course we're kind of approaching the whole process now a bit kind of starting beginning going in at the end and stuff but but 
that was it was such a critical part and such an emotional part of the process family finding for us um so we decided that yes we'll just narrow our search to two uh, siblings and but with a preference for two boys who are birth brothers or brother and sister mm. and that narrowed the search down so significantly that there was only three or four profiles that matched oh, um, right. and that really helped us because it cut out a lot of the really emotional um, heartbreak of reading all these profiles and, yeah. and going through so many thousands of children but you know it did feel quite heartless to do that at the time mm. uh, but I just think when you're presented with so many profiles you've got to be quite sort of honest you've got to be honest as well with yourself you know you have Um, to find that inner honesty to say right what what can we deal with we did decide at that stage that there was only a certain level of mental um difficulty that we could cope with in a child Mm. um which was again just really heartbreaking to make that decision but you have to kind of decide what your capabilities are one of the advantages actually to adopting slightly older children and you can consider this if you're going through the adoption process and family finding yourselves is that they are aware of what's going on and they're a hell of a lot more even at age three or four they're a hell of a lot a hell of a lot more clued up than you'd expect them to be yeah yeah um, so they can be very much involved in the process they're sort of preparing for it at the same time as you so you know when you're matched with children who are a little bit older like ours were four and five or three and four at the time um behind the scenes they're being prepared with photographs of us and little videos we were sending dvds across with the two of us kind of um making cooking and uh doing some gardening and stuff like that so that they could get a feel for what our personalities are like yeah and likewise um after being matched with the boys, we'd receive little letters and um, videos of them as well. I think we started the introductions over at their foster carer's house on a Monday. Uh, and then it was two weeks of five days. And then on the f- that second Friday, um, they packed their bags. and. Right. So that's, sim- that's important for people that are listening to this uh, podcast. The fact that, um, you know, you go through the whole process, which is a long process, but it's really worth it. So, you know, just keep that in mind when you're going through this process that actually at the end, it's, uh, it's what do they say? You can't see a rainbow without the rain, don't they? Um, yeah. so, so, you know, put your head down, go through this process, always keep a vision in your mind what you're aiming for at the end of it. You know, never lose sight of that at all because there will be times, and I have known this with people that have contacted me that have been through the adoption process that have wanted to give up halfway through where they feel so deflated. You know, don't do it, just keep going. If it's in your heart, keep going. Mm. and when you do your process and you you go through to family finding like you said Jamie you know sit together talk with people that are very very close to you Um, and then you have your photos and videos where you introduce yourself to those and then it could be a two-week to four-week process of before the child comes to live with you so that entails that you go into the foster carer's home like Jamie did um, and I have had many, many, many adopters come to my home and then we've started the process of having lunch together, walks yeah. together, yeah. overnight stays and uh, establish extremely strong relationships. So how was your relationship with your foster carers? The final foster care uh, setting they were in was lovely and they were there for a long time, approximately 18 months, I think. Um, and 
they kind of had a relationship with the kids a little bit like grandparents. They just completely spoiled them with rotten with love and cuddles and tickles and all the stuff that they'd missed um, previously. Uh, They'd learned from their foster parents impeccable manners and they'd taken them to the pub with them and everywhere. They'd basically been like their little sidekicks. (laughs) Um, So they were really um, sociable uh, little things but significantly delayed in terms of their development where they should be anyway the foster care the final foster carers who I won't name them because I'm not sure whether I'd be allowed to but they're absolutely wonderful people Aww. and um, I mean they've since separated but we keep in touch with the foster mum we call her even though I know that's probably not the socially acceptable oh no I'm always foster mum <laughs> so don't worry about that but she is adorable and we have a relationship with her now kind of like a kind of auntie um, we visit her twice a year um, we go out for lunch in a pub together and that the kids catch up with her grandkids. Oh, um, that's really brought a tear to my know, eye, to be honest. Really lo- that, I just <laughs> think it's so important for adopters to keep in touch with foster carers, especially if they've been with them, well, I think anyway, all the time, but especially if they've been with them for a significant amount of time because yeah. that's their history, that's that child's history. And there'll probably be little things that aren't written down in books and, or seen in photographs that they remember. And for yes, those boys to hear those stories <laughs> when they see her, you know, I often meet up with mine. I go, oh, I remember when you done this and I remember when you done that. And you were so funny. And we talk about, you know, the first year of their lives or, or you know, when they were four starting school, yes. you know, and yeah. that's a history. And I don't think you should ever forget a history of a child because that's the most important thing you know I would so- say actually from their past life and um, before Tom and I uh, their foster carer particularly the, their foster mum was probably the most important person in their whole life ever oh that is um, so, so lovely um, so it's really and she gets so tearful when we go and see her still because the yeah. kids of course they're like doubled in size now I mean I'm um, cry- I cry all the time because I get <laughs> videos and uh, photographs oh, sent to so me lovely, isn't and, it? and when I open the videos and I see them I just think oh look how big they've got you know and yeah do you remember this and I mean I've got thousands of photos you know although I pass a lot of photos on I also keep mm. a load of photos yeah. and you know for me like I, I I just try to keep in touch with all of them it's hard it's really hard but I I really do my first foster daughter called me when she was in hospital in labor because she had yeah. no one else to be with her when oh she had goodness. her daughter. Wow. And I went rushing up there, yeah. opened the doors, and uh, and I'll never forget that moment when she saw my face and just gave me a cuddle. And I thought, mm. what an honour and a privilege it was to be part of her life and now oh, her daughter's so life. And did you know anyone else who adopted? You know, was there anyone else around you that was giving you advice that had been through the process? No, not really. There was... <sighs> We knew vaguely through Tom's brother, a same-sex couple that had adopted siblings. So that was interesting, but we hadn't really talked to them about it. But at least we knew that it was a possibility through them. So they were quite inspirational for us. But, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, Debbie, that the um, assessment process is really intrusive. Yeah. Well, we, we both found that as well, to be honest. 
But it, it was funny, though, do. that we found it quite therapeutic as well, you know, because yeah, I think you go through your highs and your lows. Yes, you do. Uh, you do. And it's the same with the it's exactly the same with the fostering process. But I think mm. the adoption process is a little, you know, a, a lot more than the uh, fostering process. OK. And I don't think a lot more, actually, but, you know, they look into a few more different things I should say and it is very intrusive and there have been so many so many people that I've known along my you know 27 years that have wanted to give up halfway through you know and I've gone to them please please you know and they've had a good cry and come round and we've opened a bottle of wine and mm. like you say it is also therapeutic and I you know they do have to sometimes ask very very difficult questions um, do you know it's but, a little bit like marriage counselling yeah because <laughs> they are yeah. so many questions that you'd never even think that prepares you for those children walking through your door but what was the biggest shock of the process what was there something in there that actually you just thought no no this is too much there was one of course during the um social worker home assessment where you have all these meetings weekly um which is the intrusive bit uh, there was one particular exercise that we had to carry out which was where we had to draw like a sort of line along a graph which went up and down depending on how traumatic something was for you mm. and so you had to decide on the most traumatic experiences you'd had and the most joyous experiences as well and kind of plot them on this chart um, and going back to things like friends dying homophobia bullying sort of um all the different things that I'd experienced, because I'm quite a positive person. I don't really ever think about anything that I've no. had to um, overcome before. And it's at that stage, really, I thought, bloody hell, I'm a bit broken. I honestly thought they might tell me that I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not resilient enough. <laughs> but funnily enough, though, as a gay person, having been bullied a lot, actually that kind of overcoming that really played to my strength. You. Yeah, <laughs> which was surprising. Yeah. Like I said to the, uh, our social worker, she was amazing. By the way, our social worker was just brilliant. She stayed with us all the way through, and um, I said and to her, "And that makes oh my a huge God. difference." Do you know that? That makes a huge. <laughs> yeah, she difference. was so wonderful and organised. Yeah, and brilliant. And um, she um, and I just remember saying to her, "Oh my God, isn't this a bit much? You know, shall I have gone into this much detail?" And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, no. They the panel will really want to see that you've overcome um, big difficulties. It's." actually a good thing if you've experienced heartbreak before yeah to to lay that out during the assessment because actually when you are approved or going for approval at the panel they will look at that and think right that's brilliant actually that they've gone into that much detail look how and here manage brave they've here, been. yeah <laughs> no definitely definitely and so that was hard um, but like I say, it was therapy for us. Mm. You know, it really brought I think, us together. I, I think that is a really good way of thinking of it. And I think also, you know, for people thinking about, you know, approaching their local authorities or agencies after that, keep that in mind. You know, there will be days that will be very dark for you, but you've got to just think tomorrow is another day and another day you will face something else. But the actual ending of it is, you know, it's nothing but joy. And how was it for you going on to the next question, which I actually mm. really wished I was there, a fly on the wall. How was it for you <laughs> oh when God, you met the boys for the first time? It was surreal. It's probably it? the oh word. Oh, God, I've got it all cold. It was so scary because we arrived a bit early. Tom's always early for everything, literally. <laughs> He's one of those people, whereas I'm a lot more spontaneous. So we parked up around the corner 
for about half an hour. And oh my God, I, I must have told my mum and dad all sorts of people this story about a thousand times. But so apologies well, you if you haven't heard me, it. <laughs> I haven't. No, that's true, Debbie. So we parked around the corner and we were really, really nervous. And we had the radio on and we were sat in Tom's car and we, and we were talking about what it was going to be like. And we were getting ourselves really wound up because we were so nervous about meeting the boys and whether or not they'd like us and all sorts of stuff like that. And But, you know, in the end, we kind of decided what's the point in worrying because this is just going to have to roll out and happen. You know, we can't control yeah. this situation. No. Um, which is hard for an adult because you control everything, don't you? Yeah. Um, so we parked up at the end of the drive and uh, walked up. There. It was like a long, uh, stony drive. And uh, we had a little squabble about who was going to ring the doorbell. So it was me. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and so I rang the doorbell. And then the the, the boys' foster mum opened the door. And Richard, the little one, he was only a little tiny little four-year-old, um, was sort of high, peeping out behind her with his little pink cheeks. And his hair all done really lovely. A little side parting is so cute. <laughs> and we walked in. She gave us a lovely hug. And we walked in and the, the boys social worker was there. And then I just remember saying, because <laughs> Lyle was sat at the table on his little tablet or phone or something. And I said, oh, hi, Lyle. Nice to meet you. I'm daddy. <laughs> Which was just the most <laughs> weird thing ever to say. Because, I mean, we'd only really had the discussion about what we were going to call each other about five minutes before. Yeah. Um, so I decided I'd be daddy. And, uh, and that seemed to work. And he shook my hand with his little hand. And he had a lovely little re regional accent and said, Aww. lovely to meet you. I'm Lyle. And um, and the little one was just running around like a little nutter <laughs> and getting under everyone's feet. And it was just, and it was only probably about an hour long, the first meeting yeah. at the foster carer's yeah. house. But um, it felt like a lifetime because, you know, we would sit there and we were just sort of staring obsessed with these little boys that are ours. Yeah. It's crazy. And, um, and, and, and we sat with them in their little toy room and they sat on my lap and we had a little photograph, which we've got up in our kitchen, which is our first ever family photo. Oh, that is lovely. Um, and we, Do you, you know, know, for me as a foster carer, <laughs> like that, that feeling when, you know, the adopters walk in, you know, for me, like I, I'm the same, I'm very touchy-feely, so I always yeah. give them a big kiss and cuddle yeah. and I can fear, I can feel their fear as and they nerves. walk through the door, every single one of them, and I just cuddle them and I go, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. Because and, it's you know, such a life-changing moment. It's such a <laughs> life-changing, but for me, what an honour it is to be part of that you know to yeah. see that first meeting is all you know that all of them it's always stuck in my mind you know oh. and uh for me it's their next part of their journey I always think of fostering as like a book you know and I'm mm. like the first one two three four five chapters but I'm not the ending you know they've no. got many more chapters to go I bet it's um, sad isn't it waving them off when they drive off with their well, bags and toys well we're also a very emotional family I mean uh, for those who don't know, and you won't know either, I'm Irish Italian, so we're very touchy feely and <laughs> screamy, shouty, yeah. and you know, all at once. And we're also very teary, all of us. So oh. we we do all cry, you know. We don't, we we never ever cry in front of the child, you know. That like we always go like, we'll see you soon. We're and we give them a Dash kiss it. and cuddle, <laughs> and then we go in the house and we'll go, oh my god, you know, we're all like hysterical for like yeah. days and days. We cry. So, Debbie, um, when our boys were with their uh, final foster mum, who I mentioned was a really big, huge, enormous influence in their lives and somebody we absolutely adore, uh, she also had her own grown-up children and grandchildren who used to play 
with the boys. You know, they were a little bit like siblings, really. There was just kids all over the place. And it was the first time, really, that Lyle and Richard experienced that bond with other children. And it sort of helped them develop their speech. And all sorts of different amazing things happened because their foster mum had their grand had her grandchildren in that setting with them, which was fantastic. And I know you've got, you mentioned you've got four birth children mm. and you had two children, didn't you, when you first started to foster other children. So how was that for your birth children? Because, of course, like you say, there's a lot, that's a lot of Debbie to go around. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when I first started fostering, I, I didn't really think about that. I sort of just, uh, you know, I went in. I, I don't really analyse anything. I'm one of these who jumps into everything Two feet, two feet come out, <laughs> come out smelling of roses you know like it always works out in the end but I don't ever think oh I've got to look into this and I've got to read up about this I just get on with it yeah. um, but it was sort of years into fostering I'd say probably like two or three maybe four years into fostering I started to really feel guilty and um you know beat myself up about it really I mean there was many a night that I went to bed crying thinking oh my god you know because as mm. you just said you know a lot of children come into care with such huge baggage and emotional needs that obviously the ones that scream and shout the most in the house get the attention yeah. um and they were taking you know so much of my time up not only at home but you know within the fostering um part of your life you know there's so many meetings and social workers and school meetings yeah. and therapists and mm. so it was uh, so much of my data so I'd say within the first three or four years I started you know beating myself up and questioning things and thinking you know and also I, I went through um, a great thing about the oh, great sad sad thing thinking about the attachment and detachment completely and I think my kids are never going to grow up and be able to find a partner because they're found detaching so easy it's yeah. easy for them to walk away because you know one minute they're their sister or brother for a year two years and the next minute they haven't got a sister or brother they've mm. gone you know mm. so I started questioning all those things and there were times within uh you know my fostering life that I did think of throwing the towel in because I just thought this is just all too much yeah. now 27 years later I, I do honestly think thank god I didn't and yeah. there was you know fostering is like uh, the same as adoption it's a roller coaster of emotions one minute you're really high and the next minute you're really low one minute things are going really well within a day they're going really bad oh, yeah. uh, and you've got to you've got to just keep you've got to keep riding that roller coaster because if you and get off it's going to be a disaster you <laughs> did know you find so that did you find actually it was beneficial having birth children there in that setting for Definitely. the children coming in and out of your life? Yeah, I mean, first of all, children trust children a lot more than they do adults. So yeah. most of the foster children uh, would trust my children before they would trust me. Um, and the same thing, you know, just simple things like sitting at the table and eating with a knife and fork, they started mimicking them, you know, yeah. or sitting doing their homework or saying please or thank you. Or, mm. uh, and it's just the simple things in life. I mean, you know, you can't explain it, but your children, I always say children who care, as in my children, mm. foster care, carers' children, are 
much more important than foster carers themselves. So my children have had a lot more input to all the children, much more than I or or my husband has, because they've been role models, you know, and to be role models at such young ages is, is, is wonderful. Um, And I find it really fascinating. And when and then when I was when well not me so one day I've gone to uh, Lydia had just she was fifteen or sixteen and I'd gone into the school and this sort of summed everything up mm. and I've always kept this article I mean she's twenty nine now so she was fifteen or sixteen now this is from my second daughter Lydia and yeah. when I got to the school the English teacher said to me oh Lydia's um, article was so interested she was given a task to write an article about something she was very passionate about Mm. and the whole school have gone mad over it and I just looked at her as if she was mad I thought what's she talking about (laughs) Lydia hadn't even told me so she went have you not read it so I said no I said I haven't she went you must go home and ask Lydia if you could read it which I did well I cried and laughed and (laughs) fell to the floor with emotions um And, uh, I mean, it's about 10 pages long, but I'm going to read you a small, small part of this article and this sort of summed everything up. Mm. So she wrote this when she was 15. I started fostering when Lydia was a year, 18 months. So she doesn't know any different other than a life of fostering. So she put, fostering has sculpted who I am. I have always believed that our personalities are a mixture of our environment, our upbringing and our parents. I believe without my mother's influence of fostering, I would not be so aware of how drugs destroy families, alcohol addiction can devastate homes and how desperate children can be just for a mother and a father. I believe fostering has developed me into a gentle, accepting and understanding person. It has taught me that I should never stereotype an individual and accept people for who they are. Fostering has not always been easy. I can think of more than one occasion, well hundreds actually, that I've just wanted to run away from home. How long I wanted to be an only child in my desperate states of need. I would just sit and eat dinner at the dinner table without having to worry about Robinson's orange juice spilling into my spaghetti bolognese. Although for the hundreds of poor memories that I have about fostering, I have one billion precious, pure and positive ones to contradict them. Now, that is a writer. (laughs) Now, when I, that's just, I mean, it's it's about 10 pages long, this article. When I read that, I cried my eyes out. And at that point, I thought fostering has been nothing but good for my Mm. children. And there were plenty of times before that I just thought, oh, what am I doing? You know, why am I, I'm, I'm looking after other children and am I, am I actually damaging my own children? But that what she's written explains it all. Do you think the adoption process differs for same sex couples compared to heterosexual couples? Do you know, the actual process itself and all its legalities and bureaucracy and everything is the same for anybody who's adopting. You go through the same milestones and assessment stages and everything and the panel and that's that's the same for everybody. But I think the additional thing, gay and lesbian, LGBT people, and really people from any minority 
going into a room full of other couples for a preparation session, for example, you yeah. always have that feeling that you might be stigmatized or you just feel different to everybody else or you might be treated differently. Um, but I'm happy to say when we were going through the process, that didn't happen. So we were just treated in exactly the same way as everybody else. And, you know, nobody even took a second glance at the fact we were two men together because everybody, I mean, in the room was, there was a couple about your age who were maybe almost retiring. What, young, were, young, you mean? Young. <laughs> there was a couple who were Indian who came from the same town as us and they had already three or four birth children of their own and one of their, their eldest daughter was with them. There was a disabled lady who was single uh, in a wheelchair and then there were kind of three or four other slightly older couples than us, probably in their mid-40s. And, you know, everybody was so different that we all felt unique. Um, yeah. And you realised quite quickly that everybody probably felt just as nervous about not being accepted by the process, but actually it's just completely indiscriminate. Adoption is such an obvious choice for same-sex couples who can't conceive naturally. Yeah. Um, and also, as soon as you've made that first inquiry and you do a bit of reading up, you find out, of course, that there's so many thousands of children waiting for parents and it's just so heartbreaking. that I think gay people and lesbians and LGBT people are just encouraged by that. Yeah. You know, because... LGBT people, couples particularly, are resilient. They've been through a lot. They've got a lot of love to give. If there are LGBT people listening who have like an inkling that they might want to adopt, definitely, definitely don't have any concerns about being treated differently to somebody else. Because even if you're a transgender person, it doesn't matter. As long as you've got room, literally, in your house, a little bit of money saved up, but you don't need to be wealthy um, and lots of love to give. They're really just the three ingredients that you need. All that child wants is a cuddle. They need safety, stability, consistency. Um, and and whatever you that, are, that will be their version of normal. Yeah, and they need to know that you're not going to give up on them. Yes. Unconditional love, you know. And once they know they're going to be loved unconditionally, everything falls into place. Oh, I mean, totally agree. I'd like to go back to the point that you made about, um, you know, uh, accepting um, sibling groups because that's a big um, uh, conversation. That's another podcast, mm. really. But um, what is the bond like between your sons and, you know, and I hate to tell you this, but there is lots and lots of siblings that I know that have been split up because they can't find adopters to adopt to. I can't even bear the thought of it, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, well, it does happen, I'm afraid. It does. I'm not going to sugarcoat their relationship together <laughs> because, and we were warned of this by their foster carers and the uh, social workers and various other people, that they squabble and fight a lot. So when we were placed with Lyle and Rich, it came as no surprise, although to be fair, I was still pretty shocked at just how horrible they are to each other. <laughs> I mean, they love each other, of course, and they've got that familiarity together, which is fantastic when you adopt siblings, because of course, together, that's a little bit of familiarity that otherwise they wouldn't have. Mm. So they do depend on each other and they can get along, but they've always fought like brothers. And yeah. um, it's I, I've been advised by lots of friends through through school and other parents that their siblings are just the same and it doesn't matter how close they're in no, age because we no. thought perhaps they were too close in age that was yeah. me and tom's thought was oh my god why have we adopted two children when they're so identical that they're just always competing mm. uh, but for every squabble they have together there's another moment where they're getting along beautifully well and they're quite good at 
occupying themselves, particularly mm-hmm. the little one. He's very um, imaginative with his playing. Uh, Lyle takes a little bit more encouragement and often has to be uh, sort of, get, he wants a lot of feedback from, parents, from from Tom and I all the time about what he's doing. Daddy, can you look at this? Daddy, look at this. Look at that. Look at this all the time. But, you know, when they are occupied, they do get along and it's lovely to watch. And I think I think that's a very valid point. Actually, if you'd given birth to two boys so close in age, they would have fought as well. Yes. So, you know, I think you have to keep um, keep that in mind. I mean, Georgia and Lydia, my eldest two, there's mm. one year between them. So I fell pregnant with Lydia when Georgia was three months old. Yeah. They fought like cat and dog the whole time, but they are so close. They're, in fact, inseparable. Yeah. Um, it's life you know and it's the same when people ask oh how do your children your birth children get on with your foster children that's a question that normally comes up you know all the time Mm. you know if I had eight seven eight children okay all of different ages whether they're fostered or not fostered makes no difference they they would fight anyway you know when I think about the boys in my mind they're still four <laughs> and tiny little things running around the running around my feet you know but they're not like that anymore they're, they're, I mean they've just changed so much but they're bright uh Lyle just reads every single book he could possibly lay his hands on which is wonderful which wonderful. is fantastic and he's really keen we got him a Kindle for Christmas and he's got a subscription so he goes reads loads of books absolutely hundreds I mean the adoption I would say is the same as with fostering really mm. I think when a child is you know first comes to you you have to start at the beginning it's like putting a puzzle together I don't yeah. assume anything I start at the beginning and I think you know all the missing parts of the puzzle like what you just said you know mm. the cuddling and you know the messing around and stuff. yeah you know is is so important because they're all what you do yes with a younger child but they've missed out on that so it's so mm. important that you put that in place for them to develop into wonderful adults that can go on to have a wonderful life yeah Jamie mm. what advice would you give to all those people out there listening to this podcast if they're thinking about adoption? Do you know, adoption, in hindsight, is probably the most magical thing Tom and I have ever done in our lives. And despite it being really, really hard, it has also been just so incredible. Like the, It's like going on the best holiday ever where you don't know where the destination is going to be. It's amazing. And if you are thinking about adoption, there's several ways that you can start gathering information before making any kind of commitment. Because I think one concern people might have is that they start the process and the ball starts rolling and then there's no way to stop it. Well, that's not true. So to start with, I would probably Google your local adoption agencies who will put on uh, information evenings and information gathering sessions. And what you should probably do is go along to one of those and find out about the children that are waiting for adoptive parents in your area. Pick up the phone, get on Google and find out when your next information, adoption information evening or event is and go along with an open mind. Jamie, you have been an absolute superstar. <laughs> I really have it's been loved so lovely, talking isn't it? to you. I really have loved talking to you and I wish you all the luck in the future. Oh, well, hopefully I we wish... can meet in person one day and have a nice little glass really, of wine. I really, really hope that. <laughs> I really do. I'd love that. I'd love that. Everybody, please follow Daddy and Dad 
are on Instagram and they write their own personal blog and their Instagram is absolutely wonderful. Most Thank of the posts so actually made me smile. Big kisses and hugs to the whole family. Thank you and, so much. Uh, you're an inspiration to many. And well you're done. an inspiration too. Well done. Bye, darling. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. The whole series features many different and interesting stories from adoptive families, so please do check out the other episodes. For more information, visit www.youcanadopt.co.uk and begin your own journey towards growing your family.